0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, one of our biggest polluters does a deal with the government that will slash its emissions. Partnering with New Zealand Steel. A $140 million subsidy to help one of our biggest industrial carbon polluters move away from coal. Built at the Glenbrook site south of Auckland within three years. Reducing Glenbrook steel mills' carbon footprint by 800,000 tons. When completed, 1% of the country's annual emissions will be removed.
1: It's a huge amount.
0: It's a huge amount. In yeah. one fell yeah.
1: swoop. And it's And it's it's very cheap and it needs to happen.
0: The thing that needs to happen is this. A new $300 million electric arc furnace is on its way to replace the existing oxygen steel-making furnace
1: and two of the four coal-fueled tilts.
0: So what will it take for the other dirty companies to follow?
1: Aotearoa has been very slow to get started on decarbonising our domestic economy.
0: We look at why NZ Steel was first with the country's biggest ever decarbonisation deal and what hope it gives us that we'll hit the 2050 carbon zero target.
1: It was NZ Steel that went to the government, started talking or suggesting about a year ago that it might want to invest in state-of-the-art electric art furnaces.
0: Rod Oram writes for Newsroom about climate change. He was out at Glenbrook Steel Mill in South Auckland the day the announcement was made.
1: But as I understand it, it, it was only about six months ago that the negotiations began to take some form, and then it came together over the last month or so is the timeframe.
0: And it was a matter of NZ Steel saying to the government, "You've got to, you've got to be partner in this."
1: Yes, they NZ Steel is making the case that this wouldn't be economically viable for them to do it on their own. Without the 140 million contribution from the government, this project would not happen. That's true, but that's only because other countries are not yet penalising their steel makers for their emissions. But that's changing. So, for example, steelmakers in Europe are working very hard and investing large sums of money in decarbonizing the steel industry, particularly in Europe. And so in due course, we're going to have a carbon border tax. So if you are an emitter but you want to bring something into the EU, you're going to have to pay for the carbon content. So the landscape would be changing over time. Also, at the moment, New Zealand steel is protected because although it's in the emissions trading scheme, the government gives it free allocation because it's trade exposed internationally. If the New Zealand steel thing works, they take 800,000 tonnes of carbon annually out of the atmosphere. On the day that that furnace starts, those 800,000 tonnes will come out of the emissions trading scheme and uh, not be available for everybody else to bid on and therefore bid down the price of carbon. And at some point, New Zealand steel would find it itself getting less and less um, free credits. So, so it was I, so
0: basically it had to had to do something. There was
1: no rush, um, but I think it was extremely wise to take first mover advantage, because the money that's coming out of the ETS, Uh, which can be reinvested in projects like this, Mm. is a dwindling pool of money. Glenbrook is quite critical to New Zealand's economy. So it provides more than a thousand jobs for people and it supplies 70% of our domestic steel. So you've got this vital industrial product with a huge carbon footprint, which makes steel production one of the world's thorniest climate dilemmas. The conversation that we were having with them is... (laughs) You know, how do we protect a strategic asset, which is the ability to produce steel in this country? How do we kickstart New Zealand's steel recycling industry, because we currently send all of our scrap offshore? Uh, and and how do we decarbonise um, the, the operation here faster than it might otherwise have happened?
0: So a deal that offers wins all round, really. But Rod Oram reckons there's something else going on at the Glenbrook Mill that's really important. It's getting old, and it needs a lot of investment.
1: By committing to this electric art furnace and potentially a, a second one, New Zealand Steel and its parent Blue Scope is actually making a, a really interesting commitment to Glenbrook because you can't just have this these two new furnaces sitting there with all the old kits surrounding them. They're going to have to invest upstream in the process um, to modernise what goes on. Um, and potentially they can then also invest downstream Because they can now show that they have low carbon intensity steel, uh, which in due course will have an explicit market value and therefore there might be some new products for them that would be competitive.
0: And the argument from the government has been, well, it's not taxpayers pay- paying for this because it's gone through...
1: The government investment in decarbonising industry fund, and that is paid for entirely by other polluting businesses. So we're committed to recycling revenues from the emissions trading scheme, and that's where this money comes from. The government diverts some of the money that's generated from the emissions trading scheme into Giddy, as it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, that's its source of funding. And that's why it's important for emitters to keep an eye on that longer, that medium-term view that we seem unlikely to have a government that will uh, stomach a higher carbon price and therefore the money available for these sorts of things is going to be more constrained. Uh So that's that's the, the the, the first mover advantage that New Zealand Steel has got by securing $140 million from that fund because that fund will be dwindling or rather it will dwindle, but also there'll be more calls on it from other people mm. coming up with other projects.
0: We applaud New Zealand Steel moving from you know, uh, fossil fuels into electrification.
1: We think that's fantastic. But let's keep in mind, this is a large, profitable, foreign, multinational company.
0: The parent company Blue Scope uh, reported a profit of $2.8 billion
1: Australian dollars last year.
0: It seems like it's such a good deal all round, is what we're hearing, but would it have been even better if it was a New Zealand company that had done this deal?
1: No, because the economic benefits that flow to New Zealand, it depends what the ownership of the New Zealand entity was, but there would be... Most likely, there would be international shareholders in there anyway, so you know their share of profits and returns would go offshore. I, I, I we shouldn't be hung up on that, okay? But we, we, we should be grateful, grateful, we should be willing to work with capital of whatever reasonable origin, um, as long as we're seeing benefit for New Zealand.
0: For the ordinary person to understand. It will be equivalent to taking 300,000 cars each year. The equivalent of taking all the cars in Christchurch off the
1: road. I really don't like comparisons like that because I think it gives a false sense of security. It's like, oh, that's handy, we're just going to build an electric Arc furnace down in Glenbrook, and we needn't worry about three hundred thousand cars because you know we've cancelled out the emissions. And it's like, well, no, because we've got to shift on the cars as well. If it at least gives people some sense of the scale of this, that's important because we, individuals, um, communities, businesses, um, major businesses, government, we all need to be making climate commitments. Um, that are really bold and ambitious. We just need to see all businesses um, making such big climate commitments. And steel isn't the
0: only industry relying on coal. That's the big question, is whether there'll be big subsidies like this one coming for the likes of Huntley Power Station and Fonterra. The Prime Minister today, careful not to rule it in or rule it out, but he did say there is still a big chunk of that fund available. We're talking here about Giddy, the decarbonising industry fund. So far, nearly 70 projects have been co-funded. And as we heard, a big chunk is still up for grabs, just under $500 million. But Rod warns the fund is dwindling. So where does that leave other big polluters, the 10 companies that emit even more than NZ Steel? We're talking Fonterra, the meat processors, the oil giants
1: the oil companies whatever they say they are not actively engaged in getting out of the oil production and refining and selling business to be i mean this is true worldwide you know they can say oh we're investing all sorts in in green energy and all that but i got pretty tired of Z energy going on about that. And now it's been bought by Ampol out of Australia. They were even further behind and Z on that. So nothing's going to happen from them. The farming entities are are interesting um, and you need to differentiate two separate things within them. The easy part is the processing side, which is carbon dioxide from running meatworks and dairy plants. But in Frontera's case, for example, that's only 9% of its emissions. And it is doing stuff. It's putting uh, biomass boilers in. It's trialling batteries. An organic polymer battery... Fonterra has partnered with Polyjoule to implement the technology. And heat pumps and electric tankers. We've got Milky here, which is the world's first electric milk tanker. Yeah, looking at how we can collect all of our milk off farm uh, and not use any fossil diesel. But that's only 9% of its emissions. The real issue, of course, is on farm. And Fonterra and its farmers constitute 21% of our total emissions. And it was all very well for Fonterra to say, post the New Zealand steel deal, well, where's the money for us? The government's, in in one sense, yes, the cheque might be coming from them, but the ETS is supposed to recycle funds back into decarbonisation. And if we're spending more than $100 million a year on carbon credits, getting a little bit of that back to help pay for the actual projects we've already, some of which we've got underway and some much larger ones ahead of us, um, that sounds like a pretty reasonable starting point. But you immediately turn around and say, well, where's the ambition from you? Because Hewak Rakanoa has become a joke. Well, several West Coast mayors are backing the protests against the proposed
0: farm level emissions pricing scheme. The farming lobby group Groundswell wants out
1: of all taxes on their greenhouse gas emissions, including the just drafted Hewaka Ikinoa partnership. And um, farmers are still refusing to set, I would argue, very reasonable targets for methane reduction. We've got some exceptions to that rule. So, for example, Sinley milk is already reducing emissions through no fancy new technology. They've just sort of given farmers an awful lot of tools and apps to help them decide which to use. Such uh, as? To uh, change some of their farming practices, to make their farming less intensive, um, less supplementary feed intensive, and thereby reducing their animals' methane output in in total. So it's very frustrating to see the primary sector say, give us lots of money, and you say, well, sure, but where's the ambition? I can
0: predict that farmers are going to come back at... Us for this saying it's a very difficult environment, and we are we are trying hard. And you do hear about individual stories, don't you?
1: Yeah,
0: where the workers. And I'm I'm afraid my
1: response that is look to the dairy industry leaders in the world. You are not a leader in this, New Zealand.
0: Who are the Um, leaders?
1: Well, for example, Nestle, the world's largest food producer. Uh, Its goals are a 50% reduction in its total emissions by 2030 and carbon neutral by 2050. Fascinatingly, of course, uh, Nestle is also Fonterra's largest customer. So I'm... Would love to find out, and I so far failed <laughs> to find out what Nestle is actually saying to Fonterra. Um, but you they, mean
0: in terms of what are you doing yeah. to reduce um, your carbon they, emissions?
1: Um, a number of months back, did announce a small project together to um, investigate some farming practices, but there is no scale or particular coherence to these small acts.
0: Are you saying that Fonterra should be investing a lot more in its farmers and their farms in helping reduce emissions?
1: Yep. And um, you, But you've got to start with a reasonable goal. And the best place to look for that is direct competitors mm. like Friesland Campina uh, or Arla overseas who do have more ambitious climate goals than Fonterra. Now, the immediate comeback is always, well, we're already the lowest emissions per kilogram of milk solids. In the world, um, and therefore it's up to the rest of the world to catch up with us. (laughs) And I was going, well, no, because the rest of the dairy world is going off in a different direction. Your low emissions per kilogram of milk solid is is a fortunate historic benefit from pastoral farming. But if you aren't able to chip away at that, you you know, your competitors are going to be finding newer and better ways to do things.
0: What about the meat companies, AFCO, Alliance Group and Silverfern Farms? And I see, I saw on Giddy's website that Silverfern Farms is working on a, on a project which, I don't know, pretty exciting.
1: Yes, Silverfern Farms is definitely the best of the um, meat companies. And of course, it does not own farms. It's processing from its co-op, its farmer shareholders and indeed other suppliers. And I think it's a really good example of working effectively uh, with farmer suppliers, uh, whether they be shareholders or not. And I think there are some lessons there for Fonterra because that's what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. So Silver Fern Farms has also been ambitious in terms of coming up with what they're billing as essentially carbon neutral meat, but there's offsets in there. And, well, I'm far from comfortable about that for a very important reason. The ruminant animals produce methane, um, but trees or other green vegetation does not absorb methane. So the methane that's going up into the atmosphere is immensely potent, and only after it's broken down, mostly into CO2, then that gets absorbed by those trees and other plants. You could argue that, oh, well that sequestration is already going on now, so we're taking the equivalent out of the atmosphere now. And you say, yeah, but the whole point of humanity's response to climate is we actually have to reduce emissions, not just offset them. Mm -hmm. So we actually have to have reductions in methane. And methane has, in recent years in global climate space has attracted a lot more attention. So at COP26 in Glasgow in 2021, the Global Methane Pledge was launched. New Zealand signed up to it. Initially, the focus was on the oil and gas industry, because it's very easy for them to deal with methane. But it was always very explicit. I mean, I I was there at the launch of it, um, that agriculture was in sights too. And agriculture was going to come more and more to the front. Globally, on this, and it's not just it's not just ruminant animals. I mean, rice paddies are prodigious producers of methane, and yet there are ways to f- produce rice with lower methane. So, our farmers have just got to get into the game seriously. Hurry up and catch up. Yeah, yeah.
0: Back to NZ Steel, you made the point that it was. In some ways, an easy deal to do because there's one source of carbon emission emissions at NZ Steel. Is that right?
1: No, it, as, as an entity, as a plant, it's yeah. a single source. Yeah, it's single source. Yeah.
0: Whereas, I mean, I suppose you can argue with Fonterra, that that Fonterra with its farmers, it's not single source, it's spread all over the, the place. The
1: responsibility is single source, um, but it has to work with a lot of farmers rather than just sitting around... The board table saying, "Right, it makes sense for us to put an electric art furnace in, and let 's do it That's why I'm that 's why i 'm emphasizing that we 've got to get behavior change across all businesses, all of society, be carbon conscious, wanting to and actually reducing our emissions it It applies to us as individuals I'm not picking on farmers. you know we have all have this responsibility mm. um, and so this deal with New Zealand steel doesn't help us down that behaviour change route for all those myriad sources of emissions, but still, it was worth doing.
0: And that brings us to T.Y. Point aluminium smelter at Bluff. Not one of our top ten polluters, but up there. Its on-again, off-again presence in New Zealand is on again, and it might stay in the country until 2039.
1: It appears Rio Tinto are ready to cut some sort of deal at TY. This has been the ongoing debate over whether they stay, whether they go. But it's going to have to invest in a lot of new technology. It's got to get to emissions-free anodes in the... What are anodes? They're the carbon rods that go into the pots... Where the aluminium is refined, I see, um, and so huge electricity pours through those, uh, the anode and the cathode. But um, in that process, there's a lot of carbon in the in the anode, and in the process that gives off um, CO two because it it degenerates. However, Rio Tinto has been working very successfully on a new technology in its smelters in Quebec. And so we need that technology here. But they're also going to need to um, contribute to investing in renewable energy because their energy needs are huge. But the bluff smelter can't just keep relying on Manapuri as an existing generating system. It needs to come up with some capital to help um, build out our renewable electricity generation.
0: So will those things be a requirement of them staying in the country?
1: Yes. They have talked loosely about those sorts of things. So we've yet to see a plan that how it might eventuate. And and crucially, they also have to agree to a more realistic and reasonable price than they get electricity currently. But the fact that um, the bluff... Smelter has always produced incredibly high quality, very pure aluminium uh, and 100% renewable electricity. There should be more of a premium for that in markets in the near future and therefore it's worth their while to invest in this.
0: Of the Inzid Steel deal... Patrick Smalley from Business Desk wrote that the big thing is that it delivers hope. What did you think? Someone who writes about it all (laughs) the time, did you feel a sense of hope from it?
1: Oh, yeah. It was well worth going to Glenbrook on a Sunday afternoon while well, I'm a sucker for looking around. One of the best things about being a journalist is being able to go and see things being made or done. And I hadn't been to Glenbrook for a long time, so I kind of wanted to go anyway. Yes, there is a sense of hope, but I think it's quite particular. It's about a major company having a deep think about what its future is and being prepared to put some money into that for that big step on the way to a carbon zero economy. Yes, I hope this will encourage other people to do some very different things. I I still have some reservations about the logic of all this, not the least of which the electric arc furnace uh, and hopefully its sister furnace will be using largely scrap steel. There is a big emphasis in the worldwide steel industry in terms of their routes to dealing with all their emissions, uh, a much bigger role for scrap. So scrap is becoming... Scrap steel is becoming or always was a, a fairly hotly traded international commodity. It's going to become more so. And so one can imagine a time when the demand for scrap is so high... People overseas will be prepared to pay a lot for it and the scrap will exit the country mm. um, and therefore New Zealand steel will be stuck. I think there, at that point there is a case to have some um, controls, some limits to the export to ensure that there is an, enough scrap here in New Zealand. But also we do a much better job of recycling steel than we do now. This would be a really interesting way to achieve much more circularity in what we're doing. In other words, making sure that end of use, we um, recycle, reuse, repurpose, re-smelt steel. You know, if we've had decades of like, oh, you can't interfere with trade, no import, no export restrictions, the world's changing. So I think we're seeing a very logical if-buts and ands coming into free trade. And therefore, if the supply of scrap gets difficult for New Zealand steel, we need to work much harder at making sure we scoop up all the scrap we can in New Zealand and possibly restrict um, some of the exports of that to make sure that the Glenbrook mill remains economically viable.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is funded by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Phil Benge engineered today's podcast. Bonnie Harrison and Sarah Robson produced it. And thanks to Rod Oram. Kakite. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, one of our biggest polluters does a deal with the government that will slash its emissions. Where does that leave our other big
1: emitters? The rest of the dairy world is going off in a different direction. Your low emissions per kilogram of milk solid is a fortunate historic benefit, but if you aren't able to chip away at that, your competitors are going to be finding newer and better ways to do things.
0: The Detail on Apple, Spotify, RNZ or wherever you get your podcasts.